0: You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, Pastor Josh preaches on this second week of the Advent season as we focus on the theme of peace. As we open God's Word together, let's make it our prayer that God will work in us to conform us more and more into the image of Jesus. Well, good morning, church. How are we? I am so thankful that you are here today. If you have your copy of God's Word, would you open to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah 1 is our text for today. Uh, It is long and we will do much reading today, Uh, but hopefully uh, the the reading portion will go by fast, but hopefully uh, the understanding and application uh, will continue on as we continue on this side of eternity. My friends, we have made it to the most wonderful time of the year. Are you excited about Christmas time? Are you excited about the time where things in theory, in theory, hear me out. Slow down. When all the cares of the world fade away. When there's no drama in your family or in your workplace. The snow falls down. Wait, that's none of us here. Um we we come to the season of the year that for Christians uh, I think, is is probably the, the most hope-filled. And here's why. Because as we properly understand the Christmas story, as we properly understand Advent and, and who, whom it is that we are waiting for, that our hearts cannot help but rejoice. They cannot help but find peace among the chaos that is easily identified all around us. Now today, we are going to look uh, at a passage of Scripture that honestly, it's, it's pretty hard to hear. Uh, as, as we look through the, the first, I don't know, verses 2 through 17 are going to be pretty, pretty tough to, to allow to go in your ears and even tougher to allow to sink into your heart. Um, but this week and next, we are going to look at a book of the Bible um, that is going to, to, to hold in it probably some of the first hopes and promises of the Christmas season and that is in the the book of Isaiah Uh, and as you're turning to Isaiah chapter 1 just to remind you of a few other places maybe you didn't know where it was located you didn't know the address in scripture but you knew it was in the Bible Uh, I'll read for you Isaiah 7 verse 14 I'll just read it real quickly it says therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son And he shall call his name Emmanuel. It is the very first moment in Scripture that we see the name Emmanuel. The idea that God is going to come and be with us. He is going to be with his people. Another place in the Scripture that maybe you hear a lot of time at Christmas, you didn't know the address, maybe you want to write this down just for reference, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth through through forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. So maybe you didn't know where those passages were. They, They come from the prophet Isaiah. They come from the one who is, well, you'll see in just a second, in a time in history that is maybe one of the most dark, particularly for God's people, or maybe that's ever been known on the face of the earth. But with these passages in mind, I want you to understand that there is great hope here. And today, before we jump into Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, I need to give you the backdrop of where we are. To understand this is going to help us to better appreciate the promise and the arrival of the promised one. So with that, just the, the word of warning, just a word of, of caution as we jump in. This is, this is a little bit hard, verses 2 through 17. The reason it's hard isn't necessarily because the, the, the language that's being used. No, no fear, parents. We're not doing the end of Philippians again. But as we look to this, it's hard because it's true. It's going to be true of God's people then, around 740 B.C., that, that's when this is written. And sadly... It's going to be true of God's people today. December the 10th, 2023, you are going to hear these words and maybe they expose something in you. Something that that no doubt, no doubt you're not going to come here and say, oh, well, that's me. Oh, that's me. Oh, pastor, here, I want to identify with that. No, no. You, You may just sit quietly in your seat. Your facial expression may not change, but no doubt these words will penetrate your heart for God's word will expose all the darkness that is in you. Hear me out as grace to you. So that God may bring light inside of your heart. I believe that with all that I am. But just know that that's coming. Okay. So, so with that in mind, let me give you just quickly why Isaiah is so important. It's the first of the, the, what's called the major prophets. Okay. There's major prophets and minor, minor prophets in the Bible. And just to be clear, the only reason Isaiah is a part of a major prophet and others would be considered as minor prophets isn't because Isaiah is better than the others. It's because there's more verses in his book than the others. Okay, so whenever you're looking at major and minor prophets, it's just because one book's bigger than the other. Alright? Isaiah prophesies for a long time. 740. That's when we believe that this is written. The reason why that's true, we're not going to cover it today. But if you were to go into chapter six and the year that King Uzziah died, he sees the Lord high and lifted up. We know King Uzziah died in, in the year 740 BC. Okay, so so we 740 BC through through 680 BC. He prophesies. Now, I know in today's world, we we may understand prophecy or the prophetic word as as something a little bit different. So so let me be clear on what a prophet is. Uh, I believe what a prophet is, period, but particularly what a prophet is biblically. It is someone who hears from the Lord and speaks God's word or what he hears from the Lord to God's people. That's what a prophet does. It's, it's, it's not you trying to speak a better word over somebody. It's not you trying to trying to change the atmosphere by speaking positivity into something. That, that, that's actually more new age and be careful. This is God speaks to people, and those people turn around and speak to God's people. All right? So, so Isaiah is a prophet. He hears from the Lord primarily, we're going to see in Isaiah, through visions. Isaiah is going to receive a vision from the Lord and he is going to turn around and and share that vision with the people. Now, where are we in the history of the world and the history of God's people? Well, so far in 740, we're going to have seen that the the kingdom of God, Israel, they're going to have split already. You're going to have the northern kingdom and you're going to have the southern kingdom, right? So, So particularly Isaiah prophesies to the southern kingdom, to Judah. And in this prophecy... It's going to be some pretty hard stuff because, as you just heard, I told you, in chapter six, you're going to, you're going to hear that King Uzziah dies. King Uzziah is, is um, mm, he is the mostly good king. He started out really strong. He was a man of God who was loving God's people, and then I would say that his strengths became his, his weaknesses, which actually became his detriment. And so in the year that King Uzziah died, their king is gone, the leader of their military is dead, and then you have a group from the north called the Assyrians, they're coming down, and they're coming to wipe out all of the northern kingdom soon, and then shortly, in short order, is going to conquer the southern kingdom as well and they're feeling the weight of this and so there's a a pretty dark cloud hovering over their head and so they're they're praying god give us a vision give us a dream give us something give us a positive word let us know that you are going to be there for us so isaiah receives this vision and yahweh is telling his people through isaiah that they're about to face some incredibly hard times it's going to feel a little bit like law room okay so so it's, it's this idea that, that God is going to, to kind of set a stage of, of, of law and order, and he's going he's to call witnesses, and then he's going to, to lay out his accusation to God's people. You're going to hear it in three parts today. Verse 2 is going to be the accusation against Israel. Verses 3 through 17 is going to be the, the very detailed, very detailed <laughs> charges. But then when we get to verses 18 through 20, the ones that were so incredibly read you're going to hear the promise of God. Now, with that, before we jump in, I told you we're going to do a lot of reading today. One last verse you need to have in the forefront of your mind as you read this. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 30, um, this this would be Moses, right? This would be God gives Moses a covenant to give to the people of God, and it seems pretty clear, okay? Let me me read the covenant to you. So so if you want to write this down, it is Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Verse 19. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Here's the covenant, the promise. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. That sounds like a pretty straightforward promise. Why? Why, why, why would God's people not get to the end of that and say, thank you, God, for that opportunity. I choose life today. I choose life today and every other day after today. But, church, they did not choose life. Time and time and time again, throughout the people's history, throughout our history, we continued not to choose life are you ready to see why the promise of Emmanuel, of God being with us, is, and his coming is actually such a big deal for us, not, not just here in 740 BC, but also for us in December the 10th, 2023? With that, let's, let's jump in. Isaiah chapter 1, we're going to read one verse in verse 2, and then build from there. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Wait, they rebelled against, they knowingly rebelled against God? They knowingly chose death? How? What, what, what did they have to do? Because surely, surely, hear me out. Surely the people didn't wake up one day and say, God, we are so tired of your faithfulness and goodness, we're sick of it. We can't stand that you love us unconditionally. We can't stand that you provide for us every single day. We can't stand that your sovereign hand watches over us when we sleep and guides us when we're awake. God, we're so done with you. Surely that didn't happen. So what did happen? How did they live their life in a rebellious way that would cause them to choose death and not life? I'm glad you asked. Let's read together verses 3 and following. It's a lot of reading. Here we go. Here's what they did. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people don't understand. So so just the the very first thing, they know of God, but they don't know God. So, And he he gives kind of an agricultural reference here. It says, says an animal, a dumb animal, an ox, knows its owner, and, and a donkey, its master's cre- and, they, and they know who God is and what belongs to God, but evidently God's created, God, God's supremely created people, they don't know what an ox or a donkey knows. And verse 4, oh, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they've forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Wait, wait, why, why would God's people do this? What was, what was wrong with them? What had happened to them that would cause them to turn on God who created them and loved them? What, what even caused them to forget who he is and his goodness that was in front of them every single day? All right, I want you to pay careful attention to verses 5 and 6 here, Okay. Why will you still be struck down? God, through Isaiah, asked the people. Why do you continue to rebel? Why why are you doing this? Here's the answer. The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores, listen to the vivid language, and raw wounds... They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Now, without getting incredibly vivid here, why is God's people this way? Why are they sick? Why why do they choose death and not life? Why, Why can they not help but choose death and not life? And the answer is because from the bottom of their foot to the top of their head, they are absolutely sick. And again, before, before we jump in, Isaiah is not speaking of some physical illness that you need to go to your doctor and get an antibiotic for. What he's speaking is, is this spiritual depravity that is in the heart of all mankind. And it's this idea that you're not just merely a little bit broken, you're not just a little bit off, but you are all the way completely 100% depraved. That in our hearts, we rebel against, That that is what we do apart from a new work being done in our heart. And so what we see in this, Isaiah gives the answer, the whole head is sick, the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot to the top of the head, there's no soundness in it. Actually, the only thing that, that there is in you are bruises and sores and raw wounds. What a credible description. They are not pressed out, not bound up, and not softened with oil. Again, another way to understand this is you are absolutely sick and there's nothing you can do about it. Nobody on this side of eternity can help you and you can't help yourself beat this sickness. What what's the outcome of this? What what would actually would happen? And so so you would just say, Well, Josh, this is just who I am. I can't help the condition that I'm in. What what would this do? Well, again, we're gonna get into some agricultural reference. Remember, we are we are talking 740 BC. We are speaking of a prophet who was speaking to a pretty agricultural community. All right. Verse 7. Here's, here's the, the, the outcome of that. Your your country. Lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate, as overthrown by foreigners. As the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. Now, again, you you sit here and say, Josh, you're, you're losing me. What's a cucumber field have to do with anything? I get it. It is this idea that the most precious thing, you, belongs to God, his pride and joy. Going all the way back to Genesis, in the created order of things, after he creates everything, he creates man. Everything is good. Everything is tov. The the Hebrew word for good is tov. And then we get to mankind, and we get to the end, when he he creates woman, actually, he gets to it, and there's an an additional Hebrew word that appears in the scripture, and it says he is meotov. It's very good. So at the end of the day, God's, God's crowning creation in mankind now sits completely defenseless. And it sits out in the middle in an area that you're gonna have foreigners. Don't, don't think of it like people who aren't part of the U.S. Sometimes we tie stuff to, to the text that's not ever meant to be in there. It's this idea. People who are outside the kingdom of God come into the kingdom of God and they're absolutely laying waste to your life. They, they want nothing. John 10.10 10 says it this way. The thief comes only to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Those people, that, that idea, that spirit comes in and wants nothing from you but to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. And you, friend, can do nothing about it. There's there's nothing that you can do to stop it. Then then it even says, look, look, verse 9. And if the Lord of hosts had not left a few survivors, we'd have been like Sodom and been like Gomorrah. Hey, church family, there's a lot of of folks I wouldn't mind being, being lumped into a category with. Those aren't the two I want to be lumped in with. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ears to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Just pause real quick. (laughs) This letter, this book, this this prophecy is not being written to some pagan society around the world, this is written to God's people. In real time, God is speaking to his people through the prophet Isaiah in 740 BC, and they're trying to figure out, God, we want something good. We need a positive word from you. Our king has just died. This nation is about to come in and destroy us. And this is the word that God has for his people. God, that's that's not encouraging. And if that section wasn't hard enough to hear. Listen to the next, verse 11. What to me, this is God, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats, When you come and appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbaths and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moon and your appointed feast, my soul, what's the word? Hates. They've become a a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my face from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. So wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil and learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. Whoa. Merry Christmas. This is, this is our, Josh, this is the beginning of Christmas. This is Advent. Why are you preaching Isaiah 1? Because church family, hear me out. This is where the Christmas message is born. It is out of this darkness that we get the great and marvelous light. This is God's people who, hear hear me out, and I believe this, without knowing it, not just in a day. They didn't wake up and say, you know what, I'm so tired of God, I'm going to do it my own way. But it was over generations and generations and generations, they had slowly turned away from God. And God in his grace is going to allow them to face some incredibly hard times. But he's telling them why. He's letting them know what happened. What what is the rebellious act or what are the rebellious acts that they had committed? What is the lifestyle that they were living? Because did you hear what he said? They're still worshiping. And actually, if you were to go back and, and, and look at Numbers and Leviticus and, and, and see how Moses lays it out in Deuteronomy, they're worshiping according to God's word. They're raising their hands, they're bringing, offering, they're sacrificing some of the best choice animals. They're singing and they're praying, and God says, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to be around it. I don't want to, I don't want to see it. It 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 has become, and and I know we all feel this this sometimes anyway, it has become a, a burden to me. There's a lot of times when we pray, we're like, well, we don't want to burden God. He's speaking our fear out into where we can hear it. It has become a burden to me. But it's not because they continue to ask. It's because it had just become an act to them. They were worldly and religious all at the same time. They lived in the world, but they did religious things, and those two never came together. And so God, in his grace, is calling them to understand corruption Pride, arrogance, injustice, selfishness, and envy. If we were to go back and, and try to, to parse out, you know, God, God puts, uh, says things for reason. There are signs put up for reasons. What are the reasons that God says these things? I believe you can clearly see corruption, pride, arrogance, injustice, selfishness, and envy. Filled the hearts of God's people. They still did the religious things, the, the prescribed rituals. But their hearts and minds and actions were far from being aligned with their father in heaven. And now they're getting called out and exposed. So what are they to do? No doubt by this time, guilt and shame begin to set in. If we can get this picture, and I believe that we will, and you'll understand this when we read the very next verse, it is as if when God calls them together, going back to verse 2, and it says, Pay attention, all heaven and earth. It's as if all of God's creation is looking up, expecting to hear this incredible, magnificent, positive, encouraging K-love word. And they don't get that. And line after line after line after line after line, it is more exposure. They can't hide. They can't run. So what do they do? They hang their heads in guilt and in despair. But look at verse 18. Here's the promise of the coming rescue. God says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. The, the picture here in the Hebrew. Come now, reason together. It is, it is as if God reaches down and picks a long face, a face that has hung low, and he takes the chin, and he picks it up, and he looks them in the eye. Let us, let us reason. To, let, me, let me talk to you. Because I don't know, maybe, maybe you've seen this in your children. Maybe, maybe you remember this from your childhood. Maybe you're in this today. When you get exposed, when, when, when you thought you were hiding really well, but then all of a sudden you realize you weren't, hidden as, as well as you, you wanted to be. There's a sense of fear, and maybe you quit listening. Like like you're in the room, but you're not hearing anything else. You ever, you ever experienced that with your kids? They're in the room, you see them, but they're not hearing anymore. There, there's a bit of a, a fight, flight, or freeze response there. And that, that's more of the freeze, the ears close up. They're, they're there, but they're not hearing. And God sees that. He reaches down, picks their chin up. Holds it up and says, I need to talk to you. Though your sin is like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are like crimson, they shall become like wool. Oh, church, don't 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 mistake this. God is telling them what is accurate and true. Their sin is like scarlet. Their, their sin is like crimson. They have sinned against holy God and against one another. God, God is acknowledging truth before them, but he says, oh, but I will not leave you that way. He says, even though your sin is like scarlet, those sins, those same scarlet sins, those, those sins that expose and that are bright, they will become white as snow. They will become like wool. In verse 19 and 20, they're important, church. Listen. If you are willing to to reason with the Lord, if you're willing, go back to, to Deuteronomy chapter 30, if you're willing to choose life, if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Verse 20, but if you refuse, if you don't reason with the Lord, if you don't look at him, if you don't rest in him, if you don't come to him, If you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God the Father tells Isaiah to tell the people the truth. Their sin is like scarlet. Their sin is like crimson. It is bright. It is unmistakable. They can't hide. But one day they shall, this is a future tense word, they shall be clean. They shall be white as snow and as pure as wool. As we move into our response time and our worship team comes back up, I want to remind you of good news, church. Sin and its dreadful effects are still prominent in our world today. You can look around and you can see but before we get too pompous or, or pious and we say, "Yeah, I hope somebody heard that." I got somebody I'm, I'm go ahead and forward this message right, and I'm sharing it right. I know who needs it. It's in every one of us, too. Every single one of us, if we, we go back to that list of, of what caused them corruption, pride, arrogance injustice, selfishness and envy, that would be a good descriptor of who we are as a people. Sin and its dreadful effect is still prominent in our world today. But praise be to God for sending his son to free us from that sin. Do you remember one of the very first times that Jesus is, is walking, not, not, as a, not as a boy, not as a teenager, but, but as he has come into his ministry, and really it's the first time that he and John the Baptist have an incredible interaction, and John the Baptist sees Jesus walking towards him. Do you remember what John the Baptist exclaims? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. I don't know if the people standing next to that river that day truly appreciated what John just exclaimed. But I pray that the people sitting in this room right now do. That for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, there was only promises of one who was going to come. And then all of a sudden, God in his grace comes down to be with us. He doesn't send a representative. God himself in the flesh comes. And as he walks toward John the Baptist, John the Baptist declares one of the most incredible truths ever heard on this side of eternity. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. I pray, church, that we would behold that Lamb. That we would see Him. That we would trust Him. That we would love Him. I pray that this Christmas season we would behold our King. The promised one who has come to take away the sin of the world. As we end our time this morning, we're going to sing a special hymn together. It's an incredibly old hymn. 1863 is when it was written. Actually written on Christmas Day by a man named Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Two years prior to writing this poem, Henry's wife, whom he loved dearly, tragically died. I'm only going to give you the details to help you understand the weight of it. She was dressed up, ready to go to an event. She got too close to a fire and her dress catches fire. And she can't put it out. Henry's in the room with her. He tries to save his wife, but he can't. She passes away right in front of him. Two years continue on. As I told you, this hymn is written on Christmas Day, 1863. But in late November of that same year, right before that, they had a son named Charles. Charles was shot and almost killed fighting in the Battle of Mine Run in the U.S. Civil War. And on Christmas Day, 1863, this widowed 57-year-old father of six whose son was hanging on to life, injured in war, that by all accounts tells us that Henry did not agree with, Longfellow went for a walk to think about life. And on his walk, he was nearing a church building. And the bells of that church started to ring and he heard the church choir sing a song called Peace on Earth. And as the music of the bells and the words of the choir filled his ears, The thoughts of the world's injustice filled his heart and mind. All he could think of was violence and pain and sorrow. And so he goes home and he writes these words. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat. Of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And though as how the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, the goodwill to men. Probably the most famous line in this, and maybe a line that your heart resonates with this morning. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth goodwill to men. I don't know if you've ever been there. Where you get to that point in your life where you've experienced much of what God is speaking to God's people through the prophet Isaiah. But Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was a follower of Jesus Christ. He loved the Lord and had done so for most of his life. And even in the depths of his greatest hurt, his heart was anchored in the person and the promise of Jesus Christ the Lord. So we wrote one more final verse. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Church, praise God that that is still true today. So with that, I want to pray for us, and I invite you to stand and to sing. Father, we love you, and we thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, God, that even as you have done in 740 B.C., You spoke truth. You called called your people, you called your people to understand truly who they were and how they were living and why their life was the way that it was. But God, in your grace, you offered a promise, the promise of one who would come. And not just one, not just somebody who would be distant. But God, you came yourself in the flesh and dwelt among us. And so, Father, in this Christmas season, in this Advent season, we can't wait until we see you face to face again. For we are thankful for the first coming of the Lord Jesus, but we long for the second. For we know in that day there will be no more sickness and pain. There will be no more accusations or depictions of your people or any people like we read this morning. I would love to say, Father, that that was accurate of people thousands of years ago and not of us today. But, Father, as we are honest with you and one another, this is still who we can be. And so, Father, when we hear those words that you spoke to them, come let us reason together. Though your sin is like scarlet, it will be white as snow. Though they are like crimson, it will be as wool. Help us choose life today, Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to respond rightly now, Jesus. We love you. And it's in your name that we pray and we now stand and sing, church.